Cause and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Today's guest is Greg Kylo. He's the executive director of the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. He's 12 years sober himself, and his team at the Bruce Oak Recovery Center are doing incredible work helping men get their lives back on track. Bruce Oak recently passed their one-year anniversary since opening in 2021, and 101 graduates have moved through the program. Greg and I had a wonderful conversation uh, about grief, about recovery, about the pandemic, about substance abuse, about the 12 steps, and how our city is facing the current opioid epidemic. Please enjoy my conversation with Greg Kylo, Executive Director of the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. Thank you for listening to the Because and Effect podcast. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now on location at the Bruce Oak Recovery Center um, with a very special guest. I've got Greg Kylo. He's the executive director of Bruce Oak. Uh, I've been wanting to talk. I've interviewed you a couple times already, but now we get to sit down and have a a real long form kind of uh, chat. So thank you, Greg, for being on the show. At last. (laughs) At last. Happy to be here and, yeah, excited to to get a chance to share and uh, spend some time talking about uh, the things that we love and care about. Every time I've spoken with you so far, I've learned a little bit a little bit more, but I want to talk about community. I want to talk about recovery. I want to talk about addiction. I want to talk about your work. I want to talk about everything, but we have limited time. Um, so maybe just, I mean, I've, I've interviewed Scott and Darcy on the show. We've told Bruce's story a few times, um, so people can go back and listen to those episodes for that context, but I want to hear your context. So mm. can you somewhat briefly just sort of summarize your journey so far like how did you get to this position how did you end up here mm-hmm. why is this job right for you at this time in your life mm. well it's I mean it's great that you some of you are you you know the story of the Oaks because you know I feel like my journey was inspired differently but from the same place because of my own heartbreak and upbringing coming from an alcoholic home so, you know, I grew up uh, with my mom being an alcoholic and going through that journey as a child uh, with just me and my brother trying to make, with my father, trying to make sense of, you know, what's going on with mom and why isn't she really able to be a mom and really be a part of our family. And, and at one point, you know, when I got, I got to be about 15 or 16, just that, you know, we had to, my brother and my mom, or my brother and my dad and I had to actually you know, leave my mom because it was so unsafe and unwell to to be a family together. And, you know, growing up in that has tons of impacts, but first and foremost, it just was incomprehensible why my mom would continue to choose vodka over us. And it is, it doesn't make sense. I mean, it it's not rational. It's It's not something that anyone could understand because it just you know, is not something really even human. And that's, you know, what we now know much differently about what substance use disorder is and and that it's a health condition and that it's actually not a choice and that she wasn't choosing vodka over her kids. Uh, She had, had a health condition. But back then, you know, we had no education or context around being able to make any sense of that. Plus you're a kid. And you're a kid, but even my dad. Right right? Trying to f- help fix my mom to fix our family. And, you know, back then there wasn't the supports and education and even the treatment that there is today available. So ha- growing up in that environment, you know, has informed, you know, me being here today and inspired it in a way similar to, I think, how the Oaks were inspired from their heartbreak and loss of, of Bruce Oak. 
to you, do some great things. Right. You must have learned so much in retrospect or like, mm. oh, that's why that is or oh that. My right. God, so. My whole childhood <laughs> <laughs> kind of fell into place once. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about sort of forgiveness and part of the 12 steps in that way. But like, at what point did you forgive for obviously the you know trauma that you were put through because of this disease Mm. it's uh that's a journey and it that's been for me a a personal journey a part of my recovery journey myself because Mm -hmm. i ironically enough despite going through all that was uh um you know actually became someone who had a problem with substances and developed a substance use disorder myself and so you know talking about it not being a choice my god like how if i if anyone had motivation not to become an alcoholic or to have that kind of a problem in their lives like you know i i you know i we were talking earlier about me never having had a drink until my first commerce social at 19 right and and that was because i hated alcohol and Mm. what it did to my family so um yeah it was uh it was something that was a part of my recovery story and I can definitely you know talk about that but specifically and uh, you you mentioned the 12 steps and I'm glad you did because that I think is something that is equally as misunderstood out there in terms of people Mm -hmm. not really understanding what all these different fellowships are whether it's Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or Cocaine Anonymous or even Al-Anon. Are they all the 12 steps? They're all all these all the A so Anonymous programs are all 12 step based. There are actually other fellowships as well that are fantastic that you know some folks have equal equally uh, uh, amounts of success with there's dharma recovery and smart recovery and there's all kinds of sort of mutual aid support groups out there now that that work and we you know i encourage anyone to follow whatever path seems right. to work for them and yep. as long as you're sort of getting help and, and not trying to do it alone uh, there's there's options out there what i've kind of learned over the pandemic or at least it's been reinforced is that every person's health journey is their own there's no one-size-fits-all cure there's no one-size-fits-all program there's no one-size-fits-all anything for addiction Um, my best friend just went through the 12 steps and he's been sort of in and out of places and i've i've gotten just such a a gift in being able to talk to him like he's my absolute best friend i was the best man in his wedding and like so hearing sort of how it's benefited him outside of just the recovery just being able to get your life on track and like take take account of what's going on and and real real shit like real personal (laughs) powerful moments um Mm. can you talk a little bit about how the 12 steps aren't solely to get someone um you know clean or you know out of addiction but it actually can help improve your life in other ways as well oh my god yeah well there i think i heard a stat like there's 106 12 step fellowships now or something like families anonymous does a lot we we sort of partner a lot with them uh they they hold meetings here and so there i heard heard that there's like a life anonymous there's emotions anonymous there's certainly overeaters anonymous Mm -hmm. so um there is gamblers anonymous so those are some of the the bigger ones but now there you can really use the 12-step process to deal with any i think um maladaptive way or unhealthy way of coping with whatever you're getting you're a dopamine to hit with. to make you feel better in that exactly. moment. Yeah. And what people don't understand, I think the biggest sort of stigma around 12 steps is that people think it's religious, which mm-hmm. is not. Um, and people think that 
you know, it's just a bunch. Like, they have all these misconceptions, yeah. and of course, back in the day, from years movies ago, or from, from there might have been. Yeah. You know, there's just like you can have a bad experience with any clinician, like a yeah. psychiatrist or a nurse or a social worker. You can also have a bad experience in a twelve-step meeting. For sure, but that doesn't mean that it's a bad. It's not. It doesn't work, and it, and it does. And yeah. in fact, you know, it's it is the first-line treatment for substance use disorder. It is the evidence-based. Bet most effective way to treat addiction is manualized 12-step facilitation, which is basically going through in a manualized way a 12-step process with a healthcare professional in a group format. That is the number one most evidence-based way to treat uh, addiction. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important that people know that that's the science and that that's, I think, a part of a solution. It's never like the only thing. And we believe in like holistic, biopsychosocial, spiritual, cultural, like it's it's not, there's no silver bullet, but it's uh, that comprehensive approach and that being a part of it is, is something that I think anyone can benefit from if you're mm. really struggling with something in life. Part of it is because it also builds community. So you don't go to a meeting by yourself. You go and you connect with others who and have a sponsor, the same shared experience. And a sponsor, is that part of The sponsor is? A sponsor or a mentor, mentor is someone that helps guide you through the process. It's someone that's honestly only just has more experience in dealing with it themselves and they just share that experience with you. Because it's heavy. <laughs> a lot of this stuff is heavy. Oh, this stuff is intense, yeah, right? Like it's it's heavy because that's why we want to drink and use or, or avoid dealing with it because right. so it helps you not on your own deal with the, the really uncomfortable stuff that we avoid. I want to talk about community, but let's put that aside for a second. I okay. want to dig a little deeper into your experience. You went through the 12 steps. What, yes. was, the, what was the hardest oh step my God. for you? The hardest is just actually that reaching out for help mm-hmm. because you just hang on the for initial, so long. The initial, yeah. yeah. You hang on for so long, and I, per, I personally, like, I hit it. I lied about it. The illness is, first of all, they, we joke that it's the only illness that tells you you don't have an illness, mm. you know, and it's something that you feel like, you honestly feel like this is the only thing that's helping you cope with life. Right. And the truth is it's actually killing you, but you can't see it. So there's the, this denial that's part of the illness as well, that you can't see the reality of what's actually going on in your life because mm-hmm. you're getting drunk and high just to cope with everything. And and so it's, yeah, and it doesn't make sense. And you're often other people can see what's going on in your life, but you can't accurately see it because yeah. you're so altered. So yeah. so much of the, the verbiage around it was just ask for help. The first step is the hard, ask for help. It's so hard to get to that place where you, and that's why you say you kind of got to hit a bit of a bottom because until you do that, you're, you're trying to figure it out yourself and it's not something that you can actually figure yourself out of. And that's part of the, the why the group process and that help seeking behavior, we call it is critical because, you know, it's like trying to, you know, fix like a broken, instrument with a broken instrument right it's does it it doesn't work yeah so many people um thank you for all first of all we just did the legacy circle event you were amazing and it scott and darcy came and did interviews and we we heard a story from one of the graduates as well thank you for being so accommodating and everything it was it was incredible um but i've learned a lot over the last i mean couple years at least when it comes to all this stuff and um it's making me realize just how prevalent addiction is. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm looking at my own life a little bit differently and like how are certain behaviors, like even back when I was started, I started drinking probably when I was 14, 15, but every year 
usually I take a month off just to kind of see if I still can almost like I've always been just aware of the potential for addiction and mm-hmm. aware of the the just the problems with it and stuff but and I'm currently you know taking a month or two off from drinking Amazing. as well so I'm just curious what your thoughts are when it comes to the average person's we were talking about it in your office a little bit earlier, the average person's knowledge of recovery, of addiction, and, and just how that's evolved even over the last mm-hmm. 10 years. Mm-hmm. Never mind even five, you know, like, are you um, are you optimistic with the direction things have gone in? I know there's probably still more work to do, but just talk about a little bit about the evolution of the public's understanding uh, within the context of Bruce Oak and just how much education you had to sort of put out there to help people understand what a recovery center is and does and, and what recovery means in 2022. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's been such a interesting time for us globally uh, around the pandemic and the increase in awareness and I think prioritization around mental health in general, right? Of which yeah. substance use disorder is a, you know, a, a intertwined mental, is, yeah, is, you know, would, could be considered a mental illness even, right? So, um, one in 10 Canadians will experience problematic substance use. That's uh, Those are facts. And th- that's just the ones that are disclosed or that are, right. so it's probably higher. Uh, one in five Canadians will experience a mental health challenge or illness. And so we, so the basically half of the, those that are experiencing uh, mental health challenges are substance use disorders or the second most common after mood disorders. So we know it's prevalent. We know it's out there. And often they're concurrent or co-occurring, right? right? Um, and we see that a lot. But I think that it's been really helpful for people to really be, you know, no longer the stigma around mental illness has been decreasing. We see amazing campaigns out there to educate Bell Let's Talk campaign, for instance. So uh, I think addiction and substance use disorder and and these issues that where they're in the press and you're seeing the opioid epidemic and the, these overdoses. So although, you know, um, overdoses aren't the actually the highest rate of issues going on in, in terms of substance use, the, the deaths and the nature of the deaths get public, get, right. they, get, they get on the news, right. they get public appeal and political opinion. And so that's helpful to raise awareness. Um, alcohol is actually the, the highest disease burden uh, and cost to society is still alcohol, actually. So... Um, so I think to answer your question is meant the people's awareness around going through the pandemic and ch- having mental health challenges with this social, you know, um, with our social distancing and yeah. our separation right. and lack of community right. and that right. impact on our supports yeah. has raised the awareness. And I think the next wave will be around addiction. Mm-hmm. So you'll see maybe public campaigns more around uh, substance use disorder and addiction, not just anxiety and depression yeah. and these other things. So. I think we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. There's still the m- one of the most stigmatized, you know, conditions out there yeah. is is addiction. And but so I'm very hopeful that people. I mean, there was a huge increase. I think like a, a, I can't remember what the stat was in Canada, but you know, people's alcohol use increased significantly. Like the LCBO yeah. and the, the liquor, the L- LCs are doing great business yeah. during the pandemic, right? And yeah. and so for me, I we're all we're. Con- Concerned about all we care about in this industry and in, you know in the health sector is people's well-being. So if you can drink and do anything and still be well and happy and healthy and achieving your goals in life, keep doing it. Yeah. Like that's amazing. If you're not doing well and you're struggling, then there is a solution. There is treatment and support and help there, yeah. and it being more accessible because people are learning more about it. 
mm-hmm. and getting educated that it's there, but also feeling less stigmatized or less shameful about shame. having an issue. Shame. Right? Isn't so the yeah. shame and actually so the ha- being less shameful about it because it, it is getting more I mean the Oaks were great about that not mm-hmm. hiding behind mm-hmm. or lying about Bruce Oak dying of an accidental drug overdose they came out and you know that helps reduce shame mm-hmm. family shame imagine parents yeah. having their sons and daughters going through this it's incredibly hard well it's such a powerful force that keeps people from searching I'm just, I mean I'm speaking uh, about my friend it's like you said there's no silver bullet and you said that the, it's a holistic approach, mm-hmm. right? So maybe just a brief overview of what this, what the center provides when it comes to everything, like yeah. it, making people hireable. There's a kitchen, you know, like there's so much stuff here that you mm-hmm. don't think w- of when you think recovery center, you just kind of think place to go get clean and that's it. Right. Whereas now it's place to get your life back. Yeah. Ha- ha- so what is Bruce Oak doing to give people their lives back? Mm. So it's, it's all sort of, science and evidence-based it's very clinically oriented we use the social determinants of health we of mental health and addiction mm-hmm. actually and it's based on i think i mentioned earlier like it's biopsychosocial spiritual cultural so it's all these domains of well-being uh that the Say world that one more time bio biopsychosocial bio, bio, spiritual, spiritual cultural. cultural right so these are these different areas of Uh, So we call them social determinants of health. I'm a clinical social worker. And so we we look at these different areas of a person's, you know, personal ecosystem. Mm. We call it an ecological approach where Mm. it's not about treating someone's physiology. Right. And that we do that. That's the bio element. But that is not lead to human well-being. Because you can be perfectly good from a physiological standpoint, biologically, your, you know, your dopamine, just dopamine is not going to be a solution mm-hmm. to supporting someone to right. be well in their life. And yeah, finding a replacement for the chemicals going off is only is one, one out piece. of... Yeah, and we right. can treat that and we can use medications that can support that and we use all of them. And at Bruce Oak, we believe in working with whatever the prescribing doctor believes in to help mm-hmm. support that, that piece. But then it's the the rest of the person's personal ecosystem that we have to support. And you talked about these key things. So we look at employment. We like when someone works, it's we're not an employment first, but we know housing and employment. If you have a meaningful job or even just a job that you can go to that's safe um, and you have safe housing, you your life has a foundation and at Bruce Oak we're building a foundation for life right together we are building a foundation for life so safe housing workplace like we 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 know we get people working as soon as you're in treatment you actually have a job you have like we maintain the center together it builds self-efficacy it's science-based way to get you to a place where you're feeling better about yourself you belong to something and you're part of the community we're doing it together so we support each other so it's that mentorship peer support right when you're in here you're actually teaching someone else how to do the work in the kitchen mm-hmm. right to prep the yeah. you know vegetables or clean the dishes yeah. or whatever it may be and you're you're supporting each other so you're building community that social a uh, sort of uh, um, behavioral social learning um, you're connecting so we know it's about connection you're connecting with each other in a place where there's no shame or guilt and and where you can actually laugh about the insanity mm-hmm. of what we did together mm-hmm. right because yes. nobody it's like you know it horrifies people when we tell our stories 
like when it's people that aren't haven't had experience of addiction it's like their jaws are open and they're like mortified and we're howling at each other right. because we identify yeah. with that same insane behavior yeah. that we repeat again and again <laughs> yes. and again despite the consequences that, that's one of my favorite things that my buddy talked about is it, part of the system is you you have a mentor that can see through your bs right oh, like yeah. you try but all the, the same yeah. bs <laughs> exactly right to someone else yeah. previously yeah. and we just can do and we it's just like, laugh and say hey I've been that, there. I've been there. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> yes. This I tried helping. I, or what's that line? George Costanza is like, I invented that line. You <laughs> yeah. know, like you think you're going to use that on me. Right. Exactly. But in a way that's not like shameful or, right. you know, right. or, or, right. or creating any sense of like, it's actually, we can laugh about right. it together because we're like, you know, it's not help. It's no longer helping you. Yeah. And you can be honest now. So you're safe enough to where you don't have to lie anymore. So that network, and mm. I came up with this term a couple nights ago, thinking about this conversation, healthy networks. Like mm. we, and, and that includes who you follow on social media. It includes who you hang out with in real life. It includes what podcasts you listen to. Right. You know, like the networks that you expose yourself to are going to determine what kind of a person you are. Like, and people think that they're, they're immune to that. Like, oh, it doesn't matter. I can listen and watch whatever I want, and it's not going to affect me, but it does. Like, there it, was it, a study out recently about the five people you surround yourself most will have the biggest impact on your future and your well-being, and I think yes. your actual goal achievement yeah. what directly is impacted by the five people you spend the most time with, so mm. looking at what they're accomplishing in their lives. So that all being said and understood now, what was it like running a recovery center when the province is telling you, Hey, you're not allowed to be social. You, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're, they're yes. prescribing the opposite of what some of these guys needed to, to get healthy. So what, how did you work around that? And how did you figure that out in such a difficult yeah. situation? While we're opening <laughs> right, treatment right, center, while you're starting right? things off. Yeah, exactly. Opening like a, a, a residential treatment center in these public health conditions. Yeah. Right. Well, luckily, I mean, there's such a good team here and the community has really supported this. I, I mean, I'm just grateful for the Winnipeg Foundation and the others that have that have really this is like this beautiful Winnipeg story. Yes. That that isn't like about me or any of the staff here. It's about Winnipeggers coming together to make this 50 beds available to anyone because no one's turned away from an inability to pay to help people change their lives. So with that spirit, people were really accommodating in terms of helping us pivot and well, we don't say pivot anymore. Now we're pure (laughs) wedding. I used to have gracefully pivoting. I launched this podcast. And one of the questions on uh, in the uh, just because segment at the end was what's a time in your life where you had to pivot because (laughs) things just weren't working out. And then I was just like, that's so I don't want to do that. Right. So we changed that question, but we'll get to that later. Well, now we're able to pirouette. It's much more graceful now. So fancy. But, uh, so we, so when you're building community, luckily, the it just and this isn't this is just the benefit everything was closing down gyms restaurants yeah. and guess what we had a built-in community here where we went into our own sort of lockdown at, at certain points because we prevented during the, the worst times uh, any outbreak here which was great Huge. but we've got a 24 7 restaurant and a gym and a community of people where we didn't have to once we were sort of in lockdown mode we didn't have to distance socially distance from each other or even physically yeah. because we were our own community here so we got to just hunker down and support each other right. whereas other people couldn't go to the gym or go out and visit because you're only two or three in a household sometimes yeah. well we were like 75 here yeah. so 
We're fortunate. How do you think about... It would be hard for me to do your job and realize how many people... Like, Scott and Darcy said, we need 10 centers like this. And the, the need versus Gosh, what we have... Right? freaks me out. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe the answer is I don't think about it because it's too depressing. But, like, uh, wh what's your approach when it comes to just seeing the need and understanding so intimately this process and understanding how many people need, need the help but can't get it? Yeah. Um. You know, we've I've been so focused on making sure that it's like there. This is a world class facility delivering the best possible care available. You know, in the country and beyond. So, doing that in across ten centers just feels a bit overwhelming <laughs> because it's just For been sure. our first year, right? But if I'm to sort of remove myself from that and think ahead a little bit, um, I I know that you know definitely having more locations where this same access to the support that's available here is available in other communities mm -hmm. is a hundred percent. And I know you're partnered with Tamarack and stuff. So maybe what's it like operating within Winnipeg as a community and as a recovery community, and then even in Canada as a recovery community, you're probably in contact with lots of different EDs. And so what, totally. what's the, what's the general sense of things in Winnipeg when it comes to recovery? I feel like we're work. The pandemic has maybe helped us, but we're working together really well. Mm. Um, Zoom calls and just being able to share best practices well, and, and transfer, you know, our, our, our participants, our, our patients from one organization to the mm -hmm. other and mm -hmm. supporting that those care pathways is so important that we work better together as a sector. I think sometimes, you know, there, we can get in our own ways and it has an impact on person-centered care. So, so I think that's been, I think, good. And Tamarack is a great example of, you know, where um, I think women are supported here. We're non-binary and, and male-identified uh, um, participants because we really believe in gender-specific mm -hmm. residential care. That's, and that's science-based, too. The best outcomes, yeah. the yeah. best health outcomes come that way. So certainly having a women's center would, would be our goal. But, um, but I think... The, the sector in Winnipeg has been is really collaborative and mm. I've seen that we just had a recovery day mm -hmm. Winnipeg Foundation was a sponsor so thank you for that to Winnipeg Foundation but um, we it's it's been a, a huge collaboration of like 20 agencies that put on Winnipeg recovery day cool. we're hoping for it to be even bigger in 2023 so I think that I think is a, is a really important piece of of all of us working together mm -hmm. to support the, the the patient or the participant first right. So you just passed the 100 participant mark. 100 101 completed Bruce Oak Recovery Center. Yes. Take oh. me back to one year ago before mm. there was, was zero. I can still remember the first two participants coming in on the first day that we opened. Wow. Oh, I talked to them all the time. And, you know, Anne and Bruce were, uh, Anne and Scott were both here to welcome them on mm -hmm. that first day that we opened. Anne Oak made the beds. Amazing. The first 50 beds, she made them. She's her such and her a friends. legend. It's oh, it was beautiful. Words, so, yeah. and that's the really why this project is so special because it comes from that place. Mm -hmm. That's what this is about at Bruce Oak. So, and, and that's, you know, I think something that's rare and special. So we're, we're grateful for that. Taking the ultimate tragedy of losing a child and then, <laughs> she's put so much love the whole family's put so much love into this and just yeah. I, I wanted to ask you as well it's got to be a, it's got to hit a little bit different when you've also gone through this and now seeing so many graduates like are you being re-traumatized in any you know like miniature way every time you hear a new story and see a new person that needs help like how, how do you deal with that and how are you staying mentally sort of healthy and, and, mm -hmm. and conscious of that because it's got to be 
heavy and yes. difficult, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, luckily, there's a lot of support as a clinical social worker and uh, being a part of, uh, you know, a community. We our number one job is to make sure that we maintain our mental health and well-being, mm-hmm. and and so that comes first and foremost. And then when we do that, we're able to not be, you know, impacted. Although, because I do have my per- own personal lived experience, I think sometimes it actually helps to remind me how important it is mm-hmm. to do the things that are necessary, right? Because I see every day what happens when you don't take care of yourself. And so it actually mm-hmm. reinforces my own gotcha. sort of prioritization of my own health and well being and my recovery. Awesome. Um, yeah. And I was going to just mention one other thing because you were talking about. Um, you know, oh, sorry, I can't remember what, oh, that's you, okay. what the first part was. It'll come. Yeah, it'll come back to us. Um, I wanted to briefly touch on the pandemic. I don't think there's been a lot of loss mm. in the community, in the country, in the city. Personally, everyone's kind of gone through different varying levels mm. of it. Mm-hmm. And I think grieving is hard enough when you're not in a process, or maybe it's easier in the process of recovery. I just wanted you to maybe just talk a little bit about the process of grieving loss of a loved one, of a self, of a anything, of a, of a family member or whatever, but within the context of recovery, how does that change? Does it make it harder? Does it make it easier? Does it make it more interesting? What What's your experience been with that? Well, I mean, in early recovery, you're grieving the loss of something that you relied on right it was your it's our solution right like drugs and alcohol is what we turn to to deal with everything in life and so you we actually there is a grieving process around you know whatever that you're addicted to your former self almost. you we actually you know some 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 uh, counselors here will have uh, offer an opportunity to write a letter to your addiction and mm-hmm. to grieve that have a grieving process and we do like in in indigenous cultures there's ceremonial fires to grieve that old lifestyle and that way um and and you know because there's a lot of emotion attached to the length of time that you're living a certain way and associated with certain people Mm. that are no longer healthy when you're making different choices so Mm -hmm. like you said the people you surround yourself with are important so like hang out when your drug dealer is your best friend hanging out with them every day may not be possible in the beginning to support your current goals if they're different so Grieving is a big part of early recovery, but then also we lose people in in recovery and you're grieving some of your best friends who might not have problems with substances, but are only associated with a certain lifestyle that is just not safe for you in the beginning. So right. you, I went through that personally where I could have sworn this guy was my best friend and he never had a substance use issue or addiction. But, you know, all we did was go to the bars together mm-hmm. and and, you know, it was really hard to lose him in the beginning. And, yeah. you know, when I wasn't doing living that way anymore, we just didn't have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. But he was my best friend. Right. So there is a ton of of that grieving that you have to go through and you do that together in community because we're all going through that. And we're con- you get to make new relationships and right. get new supports and friends with people who are also going through that. And you share that experience yeah. of that grief together. That community, it's what it all oh, it's mad comes down to. It's so powerful, yeah. right? That core community of supporting one another. There's, n- It's like in the therapeutic model, you know, the evidence-based practice of peer support is sti- the research is coming out r- every year. We're getting more and more clinical research around like really professional peer support being as helpful because what they say is that 
the most effective things in therapy are what we call the common factors, the genuineness, the empathy, the unconditional positive regard that you have, that, that therapeutic alliance that's built mm. with a therapist and yourself. It's like one of the most important things that leads to good CBT being effective, right? right. Or DBT or any of these sort of real clinical Sorry, CBT things. and DBT? What's yeah, your uh, cognitive behavioral therapy gotcha, gotcha. or dialectical behavioral therapy. Kay. These are two really evidence-based therap- therapies, psychotherapies that, that psych- psychologists I've use. I've heard, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Peer support does that s- the m- that same thing in terms of that therapeutic alliance, sometimes even more effectively mm. because there's the shame and the guilt are removed yeah. because someone else has been through that too and doesn't judge you and actually really understands. So that's why doing it through with a peer and, and having that peer support is in many ways a perfect complement to, uh, to psychotherapy and these others to be a part of a long-term solution. And that's what we do at, at Bruce Oaken in treatment center environments where you're connecting with community. You're, it's a built-in community right. of people who are like-minded and trying to you know, change their lives together by choice. Everyone's here by choice. People yeah. are here because they want to change That's their lives. That's huge. That's it's huge. huge. You have to make that choice, though. You, I've heard so many people say, like, you can't, I mean, what's that old saying? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. It's like you, you have to be the one to drive your own recovery. It can't even be forced upon you. Even if it's just you. a little. Your willingness, you know, even if it's just a little willingness, it grows over time, right? right? So even if you're just like, okay, I'm willing to try just even one day, right? You get to that point where there's this little window, like the door is just cracked open just a smidge. There, that's where there's room for the light to come in. Beautiful. There's room for someone to reach out a hand and say, I've been there too. Yeah. I can help with this. Yeah. And to get some clinical supports in there as well. We're social creatures. Like we, we want we want the approval. We want love. We want people to like us. We want people to think we're cool, you know? Like, and, and we're good humans. Yeah, exactly. We're just, you know, we've lost our way. And there's there's people out there that are just willing to help help you find whatever path is right for you. Thank you for doing this work. Thank you for teaching me about more about it. Like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm just a beginner when it comes to understanding recovery and community. And I don't know if I'm naive in thinking it, but I really believe community solves most mm. issues mm-hmm. that we have. Like not to get too off topic, but like when you see people attacking others in the streets with weapons, what's their community like? Mm-hmm. Right. I, I would, yeah. I would probably assume not good. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the solution to a lot of the ailments of our society. But I don't know if I'm just naive or if that's too simplistic. But I really do believe if you've lost a community and you don't, if you're just um, without belonging, you don't belong to any group or any sort of crew. You're it's da- it's a we're dangerous animals mm-hmm. when we're not part of a community. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's accurate or what. But anyways. At the end of our time together, we do the segment that I mentioned earlier called Just Because. It's uh, seven questions about the causes you care about and the effect that it has had on your life. Thus, the because and effect. You okay to go through those seven with me? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the first question, what is the very first cause you remember caring about mm. in your life? Well, I shared it earlier, my mom's addiction and just not understanding what was going on with my mom choosing vodka over us and wanting to do something about, you know, understanding that for myself, but then also not having others to have to go mm-hmm. through what I went through. 
the history is so important of understanding history. Like my, I, I use my friend as the example because he's kind of just the most intimate experience mm -hmm. I have with rec the recovery process, but hi him understanding his dad's and then his dad's dad's issues, like that's the key to unlocking everything, I think. So, you know, understanding where your mom was coming from and then probably where her parents were coming from and then all the way up the line, it's kind of a, it's an in interesting thought experiment to sort of, uh, think about that stuff absolutely you know? and then actually have a solution for it to stop the cycle yeah right like being able to be someone who not only is like i've like i'm living my best life and i'd say that you know it, with all humility because i feel grateful for the supports i have but but like this is like i'm free and yeah. i'm able to help others and so recovery has enabled me to do that and stop the cycle that has been in my family and, and that others have experienced where, you know, there was no solution and I was just lost. We were lost as a family trying, like it's so incomprehensible, yeah. right? Are we the first generation to realize that we can break those cycles? I think probably on a more macro like uh, level, cause it would, in the past it has been more hidden and, and you know, happening in small rooms and right. in church basements, right, whereas right. now, more we're public. starting to recover out loud. Mm. And I think that helps to carry a message where, you know, no one's representing recovery, but I can talk about, you know, openly in a public forum like this, yeah. that I'm in long-term recovery yeah. and that it's pos not only possible and sustainable, and, and but that it's actually probable. Yeah. Right. I listen to a lot of podcasters who are t talk openly about, the, you know, there's... Um, armchair expert Dax has he's been in recovery in and out and then they talk about their relapses and they t and it's so <laughs> vulnerable and honest and yes. like incredible to have those ego stories. deflating exactly yeah so good uh so question two if money and politics and logistics were no issue at all for you right now what's the first thing you would do in support of your cause you oh had man. you probably had to go through a lot of logistics and a lot of hoops do you, and do you know what I th like honestly I think we're doing it here at Bruce Oak yeah like I don't this is this is it, I mean it's it's working yeah and the model's it, been proven and it's coming from a place where everybody has access I mean having a women's center I guess just replicating this gotcha another me and another team <laughs> yeah right. Um, but just more, I think more of this, but I feel like we're kind of like, this is a dream mm -hmm. come true for me personally. And I think- And Scott and Darcy as well, well for, for sure. For them yeah. and honoring Anne and, mm -hmm. and Bruce, I think- And so many. I like, feel like I'm yeah. like, we're doing it here. Hell yeah. Love it. Uh, question three, what's, we kind of talked about stigma a little bit, but what's the biggest remaining stigma yeah. about, about addiction and recovery? Yeah, that, I think that that it's it's a moral thing, or that people should need to just do better, and that people don't understand it's a health condition, and you know it's a chronic brain disease, and that this is something that needs treatment, just like chemo for cancer. Right. So I think people really they'll never really understand because unless you've been through it, yeah. it's not it's incomprehensible. But but knowing that there's treatment that is evidence based and science based that can lead to someone being, you know, living a, a really healthy life for the long term. I think people understanding that and that yeah. being available to everyone, I think that's I think that's the biggest need out there. At least that's now an option for one of the narratives out there because all the narratives surrounding addiction before were not 
accurate. It was hopeless, yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. People were just like, this is like, yeah, it was, it's, I mean, I grew up with that. 100%. Sure. Uh, so this is the question that used to be pivot. <laughs> we now changed it to, what's a recent victory, either personally or professionally, that you can share with us? Just a dub, one of your dubs, one of your recent dubs. Well, 101 alumni uh, as part of the Bruce Oak Recovery Center Alumni Association. So having 101 people complete the program and living out there with jobs and homes and families reunited. Okay, uh, Rainbow Llamas. In this room right here, this is our family room. We have birthday parties. Guys have birthday parties for their kids in here. And I came out of my office one evening and they, to see... Uh, uh, like kids and a couple of the par- other participants and his friends and family having a big birth rainbow llama birthday party for his 12 year old daughter Amazing. and just being like, Oh my God, this was what Anne and Scott and Darcy envisioned and Anne Oak would be so happy to see the kids celebrating a birthday at the Bruce Oak Recovery Center in the, with their, with the, the dad in treatment with the family reuniting uh, and the kids having like an absolute blast with rainbow llamas. Priceless doesn't even begin to, yeah, define it. Amazing. Yeah, 101 lives. Yeah, changed, transformed, evolved. Yeah, grown. Beautiful. I love it. Uh, question five. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Uh, um, one of my mentors in mental health. Previously, I was with the Canadian Mental Health Association at the National Office in Toronto, and. Uh, uh, peer support researcher out of the UK, I had like 10 minutes with him and I said, like, what as a, an aspiring sort of leader in mental health and addictions, what advice would you give me? And he told me, Greg, work with people you want to work with. And I was like, that's all you got? Like, this is like my moment to get like from... It's like your wish and so that you true. rub the lamp and get one wish and you... So I tried to do my best to hire people here at Bruce Oak that have a common vision, that are taking care of their own health, that are healthy themselves and that want to just do everything we can to help other Manitobans to turn their lives around. So we're, we're a really great team here. And I think I took that advice and it's so far we've, uh, we've been able to, to have a great, uh, a great team here at Bruce Oak that then when, when you're a healthy team, it automatically translates into better health outcomes for the participants because they see us getting along. They don't listen to what we say. They watch what we do for sure. And we're living it ourselves. So I try to always think about, you know, working with people that I think are going to be great to come to work with every day. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. I, people spend a lot of time spending energy on those that aren't working with them mm-hmm. and thinking of like, Oh, I got to get, you know, why is this person going against the grain? It's like focus on the people who do yes. see the vision and are paddling the boat in the same direction. We Bingo. don't Yeah. Uh, question six, what advice would you give your 10 year old self if you could talk to him right now? Hmm don't be so scared. Like it's okay to make mistakes and to try things. And, uh, you know, they, what do they say? Fail forward. Now it's mm-hmm. like, you know, going out there and just going for it sometimes instead of being so scared of making a mistake or it not being perfect or right. That's sort of a lot of my recovery has been about, you know, that fear of, uh, dealing with those, those self-centered fears about my own, you know, not being good enough. So I would just tell them to just go for it and enjoy it. Enjoy the moments and, and, and yeah, don't be so scared. The, um, the shame of failure, Mm. I think was a pretty deeply ingrained thing in our society. Yeah. And now it's starting to understand that failure leads to growth, leads Mm. to improvement. Yeah. And failure isn't this thing to be feared, but actually to be 
um, covet or you know to be you want to fail because that makes you better grow yeah exactly. exactly well said thank you for for your time your uh, i knew you were going to be a good interview just by how you spoke and, and the things that we talked about off camp or off uh, off mic but um uh, the last question is uh the hardest one for people usually it's what do you want to be remembered for mm. oh my gosh um well they, they say that recovery is a program of action coming from love. I heard someone say that once, and I really feel like there's so much truth in that. So, you know, and, you know, you hate to say, oh, like love, it's such a kind of, you know, non-clinical word sometimes. <laughs> but, but I think I am my best self when I'm coming from a place of love and not fear ironically i was yeah. telling my little 10 year old not to be so scared mm. right and to come from love instead of fear so um yeah i would hope that uh, i could be remembered as someone who who really was come came from a place of love and from from my heart uh instead of uh, a place of fear and 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 worry about you know all the things that can happen out there Greg Kylo, Executive Director of the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. Thank you for your time. Good luck in the next year and the next 101 gentlemen. Uh, thank you for doing everything you do. Nolan, it was a pleasure. Thank you again to Greg Kylo. And thank you again for listening. It's been a while since I put one of these out. And um, I just want to say thank you for listening. It has been tough. I feel like everyone I work with and all my friends are just tired these days and we're all kind of just doing our best and, and trying trying our best to stay productive and motivated, but it's getting harder and harder. But I apologize for not having a new episode in a while. That's kind of what I wanted to say, but I'm getting back into the swing of things and looking forward to putting together a bunch of new shows to listen to and, and hopefully shine a, a light on the great work that's being done in our world because uh, it's easy to get down and forget that there are good people um yeah just like greg so thanks again for listening all music on this show is produced by trenton burton and because in effect is a podcast of the winnipeg foundation to learn more about what we're doing at the foundation you can visit wpgfdn.org or search at wpgfdn on all social media platforms we'll see you next time for another because in effect podcast same time same place and remember it does not matter how slow you go as long as you do not stop. Bye-bye.